Tuning In to Fire and Wine podcast, where the two best friends that anyone could have hit the bottle and nerd out over their favorite books, television series, and movies. So let's get started. Hello, it's Barb. Sam. And we're back. We're back again. We always sing into the episode and I love it. Mostly because I don't know what to say. I just go in with like my Disney princess. I love it. Oh. You just need the birds like to fly out of your hair and tie bows around you and shit. <laughs> Have little mice clean my house. <laughs> I don't know if I want mice in my house. <laughs> as long as they clean, I'm okay with it. Yeah, true. I yeah. don't disagree with that. I'd be like, that's cool. Barb, what are we uh, What are we talking about today in our episode? Today, if you haven't figured it out already by the title, we're doing another wine cellar. Woo-hoo! This time we are going to talk about Queen Sophia Charlotte. And if you don't know who that is, we're going to we're going to tell you. We're going to tell you exactly who that is. But Sam, you want to tell us what we're drinking today? Yes. Yeah, so today our wine of choice is called the Zin. It's a 2017 Zinfandel. She always from... gets the easy titles. <laughs> Our <laughs> names. <laughs> the Zin. <laughs> She's like, here, Barb, say this name. And it's like, <laughs> even fucking speaking Norwegian and All shit. part of my evil plan. God. You unraveling it. Okay. So this bottle says, the Zin has been a Constantino favorite since its first vintage in 1990. Its name is acquired in the production process. Top off the Zin. Rack the Zin. And let's bottle the Zin. And of course, this is called these in and this is from constantino winery in hopland california pairs nicely with twizzlers <laughs> uh, yeah i brought wine and twizzlers for today's podcast i just ate a twizzler and i took a sip i'm like it's not bad <laughs> all right so cheers cheers oh yeah this would go great with some some candy right now you know you could bite the ends off a twizzler and use it as a straw Wait. just saying if, <laughs> not that i've ever done that do it all the time i'm a child i can't help it i teach my kids how to do it too i mean you gotta pass these treats you teach down. your kids how to siphon wine through a twizzler well, not wine <laughs> <laughs> no let's clear that up right now <laughs> water sometimes soda the cereal straws that you yes. put in milk those are good i mean it's a little things in life it's just a, you obviously can't do them with the pull apart ones but these are the perfect ones because they're hollow in the middle i don't like the pull apart twizz- twizzlers they have a weird taste and a texture to them you know like. i'm actually more a fan of red vines i don't know have i had red vines i don't know if i, I have. I don't know. I like red vines. I think they have more of like a real like licorice taste to uh, them. Next time I see red vines, I'm going to try it out. I'll bring, I'll bring it over. We'll, yeah. we'll have they're not bad. I mean, I, I like them. My kids have so far said they're pretty good. Hey, if it's kid approved, then. So let's get to the point while we're here. Queen Sophia Charlotte. And if you don't know who she is, let, let's let's go ahead and tell you. She was the wife of King George III. And if you're not familiar with King George III, I wasn't really either until I started researching this. I've heard a little bit about him, but he was evidently mentally unstable, clinically insane. Yes. So we will refer to him from here on out and forevermore the Mad King. Which, to pause you on that, King George III madness, quote madness, was a um, inspiration for the Targaryen family line for the madness that mm-hmm. ran through their kings. Nice. Because it is known that it's great. they had like mental instability right. through king george family line mm-hmm. and so george R. R. martin with that. copied that into the targaryen family line Burn them all! well that's interesting and we like i said we always tie shit back to game of thrones we i mean one way or another we will you can't help it okay sorry to interrupt you no it's okay that's a good interruption <laughs> that's why we're here the whole reason we have a podcast is game of thrones <laughs> which right. we don't talk about anymore but we will reference from here on out and forevermore born charlotte of mecklenburg strulitz 
On May 19, 1744, Queen Sophia Charlotte was the second black queen of England. Philippa of Hellenut, I don't know how to say that, was the first black queen of England. And I do think we should probably do like something on her at another point in time. I would like to give her her own episode. Yes. Yeah. The first black queen of England. Definitely. And I have to give credit to for the inspiration for this episode. I was scrolling through our Instagram feed and we follow a page. I should have wrote this down. It's a black history page on Instagram and I got inspiration from them because they did a post about her and I was like oh she sounds interesting I mean I've heard of her but I didn't really pay much attention because I don't really pay much attention to kings and queens of England so I did did a little digging and I was like well let's give her a whole episode because she's pretty interesting she is very interesting and hard to find information on extremely hard to find information we did the best we could to do her justice and offer a variety of sources which we will all link into the blog but yeah there's not a lot out there about her so but we did find some good stuff Barb spent a lot of time on this researching and I threw in a little bit. Most of this was was Barb's work. It, just me doing the small amount of research <laughs> that I put into this. It was very hard. It took me more time to figure out. It took me more time to find information on her than well, you I kept put... getting her confused with someone else. Because <laughs> okay, everybody's so fe- there's Princess Sophia Caroline and then there's Princess Sophia Charlotte right. and they were both like the same age around the same time and they mm-hmm. both married a King George right. and I was like hold on yeah. am I researching the right person? It's been a journey It's been a journey. But so, we got there in the end Let's deep dive into Sophia. So the first interesting fact before we get into her early life she was the Queen of Great Britain and Ireland from the day of her wedding in 1761 to the union of two kingdoms in 1801 where she then became Queen Consort of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland until her death in 1818. She is one of the last, and we'll kind of go over this at the end, but she is one of the second to last longest reigning uh, monarchs in the United Kingdom. As a regent? As a regent. So her early life, born in 1744, Sophia Charlotte was the eighth and youngest daughter of Prince of Miro, Charles Louis Frederick of Mecklenburg, and Princess Elizabeth Albertine of Saxe-Hildenburg-Hausen. There you go. So Mecklenburg-Strelitz was a small town in northern Germany, and that's part of the Holy Roman Empire. We'll talk about that a little more later. We're going to go into like her ancestry right now, I think, right? Yeah, I think it's important just to mention where she comes from and where she lived is going to play a little bit of a role into why she was selected for the wife of the king. So we'll get to that. But I think it's important to kind of clear the air right now because this was where it got really confusing trying to track her ancestry. Right. Because on one side of history, everyone says she is of African descent. Then you have the other side, which I think is heavily influenced by the royal family, maybe trying to hide things. The crown. Yeah. Trying to say, no, she's not. So a lot of the sources that I have found that are more reputable sources seem to all kind of agree that she is of some African descent. Yeah. And everything else that's more, well, mainly Smithsonian Magazine was the only one I found that contradicted everything. And so. I found some contradictions as well, which I think think we should go over the research and then yeah. we can kind of debate yeah. the different bullshit that yeah. we ended up running into during this. All right, let's do it. You want me to start? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so according to aaregistry.org, and I will link that in the blog as well, Sophia Charlotte descended directly from an African branch of the Portuguese royal house, Margarita de Castro e Sousa. There are six different lines that can be traced from Princess Sophie Charlotte back to Margarita de Castro e Sousa. However... Because someone always has to object facts. Of her, course. Yeah. Facts, yeah, people, th- not This opinions. is where it gets frustrating. Her African lineage in the British royal family is not common knowledge. Smithsonian Magazine says, and this is a quote, 
Evidence suggests she may have descended from black relatives within the Portuguese royal family, but it's not conclusive. Which, okay, I'm going to give them benefit of the doubt here. I'm going to play, they're just playing it safe because back then, especially in like, what was it, the 13th century? Yeah. Royal families were always keeping like really tight family trees, but you don't know if that stuff was manipulated. People had affairs. There was concubines. And And people really only recorded male childbirth. Right. And so a lot of women weren't always accounted for, mm-hmm. which could be huge. And there's always the risk of someone getting someone knocked up and having a bastard child, but you're trying to hide it. I mean, there's right. there's so many things like you can't take, you can't look at a piece making of making the bastard child like right. legitimate when they're really not. And then now you're combining bloodlines and right. You can't yeah. look at a piece of paper and say at face value, that's 100 percent accurate and right. true because we don't know we weren't there. So that's that's my first big argument against maybe the royal family is you want to deny it, but you don't know. You don't you know. Don't know. Um, so I'm going to say that the royal family is paying Smithsonian to be like, I don't know. I'll be right back and get back to you because I don't know. Which they're playing it safe. They're not saying it's not true. They're just saying it's not conclusive. Right. And it's a little frustrating because then you go all over the rest of the resources we look at and everyone pretty much says, yes, she is. So a little sidestep through history. Margarita de Castro Isusa's ancestry can be traced from the 13th century ruler Alfonso III and his lover Madra. Ghana, who is believed by scholars and researchers to have been a Moor. So the Moors of Spain came from North Africa. This cannot conclusively prove that Castro y Sosa's racial identity. There was a word in Shakespeare's time, quote, Black Moor, which meant Muslim. It didn't necessarily mean Black. And back to the earlier point on how people weren't good at keeping accurate notes of relations and babies, it's possible we don't really know the accuracy surrounding mag. How do you say that? I just say Magdagrana. Magdagrana's racial identity. With this, I did find a bit of confusing information with Alfonso's lover because I found some sources that cited her name as Oriana. See, here we go. Which was his concubine. Concubine. Yeah. She was described as a, quote, black moor. So in the early 13th century, Alfonso III conquered a small town called Faro from the Moors, which is in Faro, Portugal. Alfonso demanded that the governor's daughter as his paramour, which is like his lover. Mm -hmm. And he ended up having three children with her. The history of Faro and how they believe the Moors became part of the family line. Between the 2nd and 8th centuries, the city was under the domain of the Romans and then the Byzantines and later the Visigoths before being conquered by the Moors in 713. And the Moors are described on Wikipedia as not being a distinct or self-defining people. And then in 1911, the Encyclopedia Britannica observed that, quote, the Moors have no real ethnological value. However, I also read that the Moors are described as Muslim inhabitants mm-hmm. from Northwest Africa, effectively a Western part of the Arab world, and is predominantly Muslim. And so during the Middle Ages later, this name was also applied to the Arabs. Now, keep in mind later in life that the term, quote, Moor was used by Europeans, derogatory term to refer to Muslims in general. Right. This town was under Moorish rule for about 500 years before it was conquered by Alfonso III. Right. And not to be like, I know it all, but you think like North Africa, that region today, it's a big mix of population there. You do have Arabs, you have Africans, you have black Muslims, too. So it's... I think it was like that back then, too. It was pretty mixed. And I know, and I told you from personal experience, my brother, where he lives in southern Spain, it's very heavily influenced by Moorish culture. Yeah. 
you know, immigrants. Right. So there's a lot of things there that, you know, you even look at when they tell you about the history and you look at like the pictures and the paintings, they're black. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's kind of there in your face, but it's like I don't think people want to like conclusively say that's what it was. Yeah. And Portugal became like this hot spot of of mixed races because mm-hmm. of like the town Faro has a huge shipping port and it became like a super important part of their culture. And not only is it a heavily Moorish town, but it also has a very strong Jewish community as well. Right. So there, so there is a, a big, it's a big mixing of, bowl, of, yeah. of culture. And so I think it's hard for anyone to say specifically that her her background is just like what it one is. thing, yeah, because everything's just kind of mixed together mm-hmm. at that point. But the fact that Europeans use more as a derogatory term, right? That's bullshit. It but is. that also brings us back to why they're denying all this in the first place. We'll go into this deeper later. Yeah. But that's why I got really frustrated with researching her because it felt like a lot of these sources wanted to say conclusively that she is, but they held back. Yeah. And I can get it like you just don't want to say it because you don't have all the facts together. You but then you're like, also looking yeah. at all the other accounts and we're going to get to this in a second. I'm just putting a disclaimer out there. It's going to get a little testy because there are things that are being said that it's not us. This is no, we're, recorded we're reading, in history. Yeah. Yeah we're, yeah. we're reading what's been recorded. And we don't like, agree with it at all. Yeah, no, 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 <laughs> but no. it's just, but you hear the way people in past on record talking about her. Obviously, she was different. Yeah. Not that it was a bad thing, but she obviously stood out as different. Yeah. And the fact that you're trying to find conclusively an answer to your question, I think we wholeheartedly could say, yeah. I Yeah. She's the second black queen of Britain. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Fuck it up. Get a girl. Get a girl. She's beautiful. Yes. I got very passionate researching this because I'm just like, this is so unfair. <laughs> it is unfair. And I got really upset. There's some quotes I found that I want to read that really, oh, yeah. that really disturbs me. Oh, God. So others are going to argue that there was no mistaking Sophia Charlotte's racial heritage as mixed race. Oh, here we go. Devaldez e Cocom. From PBS Frontline article is uh, the Blurred Racial Lines Famous Families, which again, I will link in the blog. They argue that Queen Charlotte's features recorded by her contemporaries gave her an unmistakable African appearance. I'm quoting how people described how she looked and just disclosing the prevalent racism and the dire urgency that they had to hide her true identity. Sir Walter Scott wrote that she was, quote, ill-colored and called her family, quote, a bunch of ill-colored orangutans. The fuck? And then one prime minister once wrote of Queen Charlotte, quote, her nose was too wide and her lips were too thick. You know, people strive for that look today. People spend millions of dollars to look like that. Fuck these people. Because someone doesn't fit into their mold of what they think beauty is. And so they're just bashing her on. I have to say, looking at portraits of her compared to like pictures of Marie Antoinette and Mm -hmm. like all the other people that we've covered in Wine Cellar. And I'm looking at her and I'm like, she looks like a real person to me. Right. I look at these portraits of other royal people. I'm like, they're not attractive to me. They're pretty ugly. They all look the same. Like (laughs) They they all look the same and then they got someone who looks different and all of a sudden now they're trying to like Ooh. like they want to cover up her past yeah like and she, how the she fuck is you, who she is I guess it was normal back then but it's like it's hard in present day reading quotes like this it's like how are you going to call someone an orangutan like what the fuck but then no people still do that today people are people are still massive assholes today and God. they can't appreciate the beauty in someone who doesn't look like them exactly and i think it's hard for me because one i can sit here and openly say no i'm not racist i'm ignorant i'm not racist like yeah. i there's things I'm still learning and I'm still educating myself on and I'm I'm an oh, I'm an open book. Right. But I could never even if I hated someone like I could never like say something so 
offensive. Offensive and, and hate-filled. Like, blatant racial slurs. But it's like people get away with that shit all the time and it's very frustrating. I'm not trying to go off topic, but it's just like... As long as she did a good job and was a, a good human, who cares what she looks like? Jealous of them thick lips. Was. Girl, you work it. Yeah, I bet I bet her husband liked her thick lips. Let me just tell you that. I mean, I think he was like, he was obsessed with her. Okay, we'll oh, get there. Oh, we'll I, get there. I, got, I, got, I got some info. <laughs> King George liked him some Sophia. Let me tell you that. <laughs> okay, so I do want to talk about this next part because this, this is what I found very interesting. This was interesting, yeah. When researching her, and this is part of why we got a little confused because you're looking up a person who you have in mind and you're thinking this is who it is and you're looking at portraits you're like is this the same fucking person i'm researching because this picture looks totally different from the one i saw earlier right yeah okay there's a reason for that many of the images you see of her are going to downplay her african features which is huge and i think it speaks in volumes of the british royal family definitely the artists who painted queen charlotte did not aim for exact likeness her quote Black African features had political significance since the artists of that period were, quote, expected to play down, soften, or even obliterate undesirable features in a subject's face. So not just her, I guess, it would be like any royalty. Like if so, if you're poxmarked, you know, you're not going to see that. But I mean, for this especially, that just proves a point. Also on aaregistry.org, Sir Alan Ramsey was responsible for painting the most, quote, African representations of the queen. Some say that his tendency to paint more accurate versions of Queen Charlotte was his way to stand with the anti-slavery movements of his day. Copies of his work were sent to the colonies, which was America, and used by abolitionists as a de facto support for their cause. It was rumored that the royal family did not like many of these portraits and rejected most of them. I can't verify this. That was just something I speculated and I saw in one of the articles that I read. But it would make sense that the rejection over the accuracy of her appearance would cause such a reaction from the royal family and just proves my point that they were trying to hide something. Interesting little side note. We're going to Sam and I are going to talk about four images real quick. I'm going to put these all on the blog and I'll link them all so you know which ones we're talking about. You can do a Google search for yourself. Queen Charlotte, Sophia Charlotte, whatever you want to search. And you can see for yourself how many paintings there are depicting her as your typical white royal. Yeah. So Sam's looking at the first image. Now, keep in mind, the first two images were by Sir Alan Ramsey. She definitely, no, she has definitely more prominent features than these two, like fuller lips. Mm -hmm. Her skin's definitely darker toned. Mm -hmm. Her hair looks a little bit more textured. You know, this, this look natural. She looks beautiful. Her features are not i don't feel like they slimmed down anything right now these other two pictures you have down here and these are these two pictures are painted by two separate artists here these last two so these other two don't even look like the same person they don't so the first two look like the same like the first two pictures you showed me look like they, the they look person. identical. Yeah, yeah, identical. The same mm-hmm. person. The third picture, it looks like a completely different person. And then the fourth picture, it looks like an old white lady. The painter of the image four, Thomas Gainsborough, he was responsible for majority of the other paintings. And now this painting, her her facial features are obviously very different. You can describe that with the white hair and everything. They say that was very accurate at the time because that was during a lot of the stress in her life. But the facial features is what I'm looking at in that painting. I just want to yeah. put that clarity out there like that was more what I was looking at her facial features are very different yeah so this fourth picture looks like she's wearing like a like a Marie Antoinette style wig she's got like it's really tall she's got I mean it looks cute but her face looks nothing like these other ones like her cheeks are thin Mm -hmm. her nose is super tiny and slender and she has again no top lip and a full bottom lip which is not at all what she looks like in these other two pictures right She looks like a completely different person. Right. And exactly. I agree with what you're saying. Like the first two images, I see the same person. And if you look at all the other paintings done by Sir Alan Ramsey, 
they all look very similar. She's very motherly, but she has the same features. Like, he doesn't shy away from that at all. If you want to say that that's his claim to anti-slavery movement, whatever. But I really think that's... And the fact that the family would reject those paintings... And you see... But you see, the whole reason I put the last two, because I put two of him and then I put one separate of different artists. So you can see the complete difference between one artist to the next right. versus Ramsey's paintings. That's insane. Isn't that like, crazy? This looks like three different women you posted. Right. Yeah. And I get everybody has a different style. You do a Google search of her images, like they it's ridiculous how different they all look. My gut's telling me that people were lying and hiding things because they didn't like the way she looked. It didn't fit the stigma of whatever Point the royal blank, family wanted. Bottom line, she didn't fit into what they felt was the stigma of a, how a royal should look. So they were trying to alter history, basically. Exactly. So I just want to wrap up real quick here after her ancestry and we can move on. The only source that I found, majority of all the other sources all agree. In fact, she was the second black queen of England. And so I from here on out, we will refer to her as that. So if you want to argue us, you can suck my titty. <laughs> Straight from her mouth. <laughs> and I'm just going to add one thing. With me doing this research, I've stumbled into like this weird Google document from like the early days of when the internet was invented. It was like the early 90s. And people were arguing back and forth about her being of African heritage. And someone was denying it. And they're like, if she were to be truly African, why didn't the rest of her family look that way? And they're like, and then she would have had to have a direct African descendant because they were saying Alfonso was too far back to carry an African gene that mm-hmm. forward to her time. I don't agree with because genetics are weird. Right. You know, there's dominant and non-dominant traits. Mm -hmm. And then who's to say that they didn't alter the appearance of her family? Who's to say they didn't make her family like they didn't change the way they looked in paintings? Because there's no photographs of them back then. Right. Their paintings could have been altered just like hers. Because I was an idiot thinking you could find a photo of Alfonso the third and it was a fucking coin with his image on it. I was like, what the fuck is this? Right. (laughs) So, you know, the fact was that people like normal people are debating they were like calling each other's names on this like it looked like a weird email document exchange I was looking at. People in the nineties were strange being. Why are we arguing this? <laughs> Why she do looks, you care? She, she just looks like- she looks the way she looks, okay? Who cares? I really honestly don't understand why the royal family thought it was such a big to-do to hide who she really is. So a few facts about her upbringing and her education. Sophia had a, quote, very mediocre education, according to reports. Some would say her education was equivalent to a daughter of an English country gentleman. And I think it has to do with that. We're just in, they were like in a small German duchy. Yeah. They called it like it was just it she was, was in like some, nowhere. Some big, yeah. grand, rich princess. And I guess they probably didn't think like, oh, she'll probably never <laughs> get married to a king. She's fine. <laughs> so she did receive some additional education in botany, natural history and language from tutors, but her main focus of education was on household management and religion, which was taught to her by a priest. She did not receive any education regarding court life until her brother, Aldolphus Frederick, became Duke in 1752, and this was after the passing of her father. He took over as Duke. Marriage is what brings us here together today. Okay. (laughs) King George III succeeded the throne of Great Britain when he was just 22 years of age and he was unmarried. So his mother was like, you gotta get married. You gotta get me grandbabies. Here I am. Jewish mother from Queens. Watch out. Coming out. (laughs) And their whole fucking betrothal and married wedding. 
crazy. Ooh, I got whiplash just reading this shit. Okay, ready? So Princess Sophia Charlotte was 17 at the time. Not a bad age. 17. But it's, I mean, we've seen younger. 14. Yeah. We've yeah. seen younger. Her upbringing from an insignificant part of Germany led George III to feel that she wouldn't meddle and have little interest in, quote, power politics or party intrigues. So basically, he just wanted her to wife it up and shut up. And give me babies. Right. Mm-hmm. Some say she was happy to oblige, but maybe she did have some interest in world events. But I mean, with her lack of like a formal education, right. who knows? She didn't I know mean, what to do with it. Yeah, I mean, she's like, I'm interested, but what do I know? What is or like, how do I equate that to to my life? Right, like she's basically brought up just to be a wife. The king announced his intention to marry Princess Sophie Charlotte. There was a party led by Earl Harcourt that left for Germany to pick her up, kind of like Marie Antoinette, where they met in the woods like on the border but I think he just went to her town to pick her up and brought her to England her brother the reigning duke as we mentioned earlier uh, signed her marriage contract along with Earl Harcourt so they were the witnesses sounds like you're just signing for a package basically Amazon's here with your delivery oh actually wait I don't want it take it back with you I need your signature first okay cool here you go (laughs) take it it was stated that King George had acquired a portrait of Sophia and was apparently very smitten Aww. by her, and he wouldn't share the portrait of her with anyone else. Is this because it's he knew mine. his face is my lo- precious? <laughs> He's <laughs> totally Gollum. He's fucking batshit crazy. He's he Gollum. He is Gollum. Can you imagine him like prancing around the hall like it's mine? <laughs> you want to see? No, you can't see. <laughs> It's so precious. So that's okay. That's a great way to think of it because I was just I was just thinking that he wouldn't show anyone because because it showed her actual African features and he knew his family is fucking racist and was like, no, she's coming. I like her. She's coming. Like you can't stop it. Yeah. It's destiny. Bring her to me. (laughs) It was said that, quote, back in London, the king's enthusiasm mounted daily, wrote Janice Hadlow in the book A Royal Experiment, The Private Life of King George III. And he also had dresses prepared for her and waiting for her arrival that's cute so there were three days of celebration after the signing of the wedding contract and on august 17th 1761 the princess officially left for britain when they arrived at cuxhaven they boarded ships to england however the journey was extremely dangerous as they had the misfortune of hitting three storms at sea they made landfall on september 7th and made way for london the king and his family received them at the garden gate and reading this fast for a reason because it's fucking crazy and this was the couple's very first meeting i'd like to be like where's the wine in my bed you're lucky i made it alive holy fucking shit but no alas they got married that night at 9 p.m fuck because the king's like i got to stick my dick in you like he was ready for her to come he he was literally He had her dresses laid out. He had like the bedroom set. He was already lighting candles. Like we're gonna have the best marriage. Do this now. I'm gonna fuck you. Okay, first of all, I've caught off the ship. I've been vomiting for months. I stink. I need a shower. Um, you want to get married now? Right now is a good time for you. Okay, okay, okay. But wait, wait, wait. There's more. There's more. So always. Not only was this a whirlwind wedding, right? Homegirl didn't even speak English. Literally just got there from a small German duchy. (laughs) I'm just going to marry the king of Britain. All right. On a ship. Do, 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 do. Storms and I almost died. And oh, here we are. And all of a sudden, the pomp and circumstance of being in England, like you're marrying the king of England. Okay. Hola, world power. And you're in like your little German you know, clogs and your clogs. You have like your maiden <laughs> milk maiden dress on. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you're just like, okay, we're doing this. Do you now. think she was just sitting there like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. Like I, she was probably in shock. Yeah, the entire- <laughs> like shaking, like wet, like uh, what? <laughs> and the king's like, you are beautiful. <laughs> like her, ma- 
mascara is like all running down her face. I was gonna marry you in a week, but it's doing now. Fuck it. I'm the king. I can do what I want. Queen ship. The queen ship. Speaking of the ship she just got off of. Yes. So the queen gave birth on August 12th, 1762 to her first child, a boy. And this was less than a year after marriage. I mean, good thing for her she had a boy. Can you? But that was like the thing when I was researching this and I'm looking at like the children she had. I'm like, this bitch was fucking lucky. Marie Antoinette. We went like fucking almost eight years without having kids. And then she popped out three girls. Right. Yeah. Definitely good fortune for her. So the first child was a boy, George. Prince of Wales. Jo- really? Everyone's George, Henry, and Harry. Well, if you're going to be the Prince of Wales, you got to keep it consistent. Just like the Targaryen line. The Targaryens are the, the crown. The royal couple went on to have 15 children, all but two survived into adulthood. Good fortune shined upon her. Yeah, they did. It's sad they lost two. That's a lot of kids. That's a lot of lineage. That's why they have a lot. Because there. they know that they're all not going to make it. That's sad. Yeah, it's sad. Because, oh, but that's the time. Because current day, we have one kid. And you, now I'm going to get a cat. <laughs> I'm not going to have a kid. I'm going to have a dog. Because you expect your kid to make it. You know, like we right. don't have the same complications that they did back in the days. So not everything was going so swimmingly, though. As Charlotte had a rather strained relationship with her mother-in-law, Princess Augusta. I hate that name. Fucking Augusta. She sounds like a bitch. This made it difficult for Charlotte to adapt to the ways of life in the British court. Her mother-in-law was basically a nosy-ass bitch and would get in the way of Charlotte trying to make friends in court, which was like the whole fucking purpose, right? So Augusta hired many of Charlotte's staff, which were all expected to report to her regarding Charlotte's behavior. Literally, do we have nothing better to do? Don't you have like cross-stitching or like... That would drive me crazy. You have a grandchild now. Maybe go play with your grandchild. Like, she gave you a fucking air. She did her duty. She she fucking did what she was brought to do. Right. Within a year. Cut her some fucking slack. I mean, Jesus Christ. I would be like, George, listen, if you want some more of this, you're going to have to get mama out of here. Your mom needs her own place. She's got to fucking go. Right. So also keeping in with being a biatch, Ooh. her mother-in-law would criticize Charlotte for leaning on her German companions because who the fuck else is she going to talk to for friendship? And she basically accused her of playing favorites with her German ties. So King George enjoyed his country life and riding his horse. He likes to ride a lot of things, it looks like. Because of this, he kept his family <laughs> residence in the rural towns. The domestic life suited him better than the royal one. And he was rather informal, which bothered people. I mean, I'm the king. You can get the fuck out of my life. <laughs> Do what I want. They were so relaxed that the king and queen would walk around the town unattended, which also bothered people. Why? Why do you fuck care what I do? Why does it matter? Because they're the king and queen. You need to be protected, I guess. Or have, like, your court with you. But they were like, no. But they were basically like, no, we're good. We're good. We just kind of need to get away from y'all for a little bit. Because we don't... You're too stuffy. And take for granted, I didn't do a whole lot of research on King George the Third before this. So, I mean, he could have been a complete dick. I don't know. But from what I'm reading on her, he seemed like he... Before the craziness started, he seemed all right. Yeah. I mean, probably not perfect. I'm not saying he is, but, I mean... Pretty laid back, relaxed. Kind of like Victoria and Albert were like in person. They were like yeah. very stuffy, but like behind the scenes, they were very like normal. Yeah. For Loved whatever standards. And was happy just living out in the country. And yeah. Just want to be left the fuck alone. And these fucking colonies over here are revolting against me right now. So I got to deal with that shit too. Yeah. Well, fuck America, right? Yeah. Fuck us. So around 1778, the Queen's Lodge at Windsor was constructed and the Queen was responsible for the interior decorating. Friend and diarist 
Mary Delaney said, quote, the entrance into the first room was dazzling, all furnished with beautiful Indian paper, chairs covered with different embroideries of the liveliest colors, glasses, table, sconces, and the best taste, the whole calculated to give the greatest cheerfulness to the palace. So she had taste, unlike some other people we have discussed like Marie Antoinette. Not that she was completely tacky, but sometimes when I hear Marie Antoinette, I think Liberace. She was a bit... Like, this is more common taste. Like, she's sensible. Yeah. Queen Charlotte was also known to be very friendly and warm, especially to her ladies and children's attendants. So there is a note that she wrote to her daughter's governess, and this is what she said, and it's very sweet. My dear Miss Hamilton, what can I have to say? Not much indeed. But to wish you a good morning, and in the pretty blue and white room where I had the pleasure to sit and read with you, The Hermit, a poem which is such a favorite with me, that I have read it twice this summer. Oh, what a blessing to keep good company. Very likely I should not have been acquainted with either poet or poem, was it not for you. So she's writing to like people who work for her. Like, yeah. And this is where I uh, I started to like get more of a connection with her, because you start to see her writings with other people, and she was... A norm- I feel like for, for royal standards, she was pretty normal. Yeah. Like a normal and, and person. And just expressing like her gratitude and friendship with just everybody she's with. Exactly. Yeah. Queen Charlotte purchased the Frogmore House located in Windsor Park in 1792 as a country retreat for herself and for her daughters, which is also the first home to Prince Harry and Meghan Markle when they first got married. Do you think they did that on purpose? Okay. So Prince Harry was given that home by the Queen Oh, before? Before. Okay. So he was living there because he didn't want to live in the apartments. Apartments. I wouldn't either. Fuck that. Everybody's in your shit. That's Versailles all over again. Mm Mm-hmm. As said before, she had agreed to some pretty strict requirements when marrying King George. One being that she would not involve herself in political dealings. And this comes from her upbringing in a small German duchy. However, that does not mean she had zero influence. She was known to be very discreet, and she had secret correspondences with her brother a lot, the Duke. And she used her closeness with her husband to her advantage to stay in the know and make recommendations for offices. Some believe that due to her efforts and interest in the War of Bavarian Succession, that the king supported British intervention. So she had a little... She's pulling some strings. Yeah. She's like, you know, I don't know everything. Let's make life a little interesting. But I know something. Let me dip my fingers in here. And your mother's pissing me off. So guess what? I'm going to learn something about the War of Bavarian Succession. And we're going to get involved. Fuck you. Fuck your mother. So this next segment will be about King George's mental illness. When King George III first experienced mental illness back in 1765, his mother kept Charlotte in the dark about it. There was this little thing called the Regency Bill of 1765 where it stated that if the king should ever become permanently unable to rule, that Charlotte would become regent. Of course, she would hide her from that because she's like, I want that to be in charge. This, of course, was not going to fly with the bitch mother-in-law. And she tried to oppose the bill and failed. So, being a bitch, she kept Charlotte out of the loop regarding the king's illness and the regency bill. So she had, like, no idea this bill ever existed, I guess. Yeah. 1788. The king had such a distressful bout of physical and mental illness that terrified Charlotte to the point where she did not want to be left alone with him. She insisted on having her own bedroom. A doctor was called, however, keeping up with the tradition. Charlotte was not told or given any information. 
or an opportunity to speak with a doctor. I feel like uh, kings and queens have always had their own separate beds. I guess they shared a bedroom a lot. I think they really enjoyed each other's company from from what I've read. Yeah. But it's kind of sad. Like, she's, she's his wife and they're just not... No one's communicating with her. So she has, she's terrified of her husband because she doesn't know what's going on. And no one's telling her what the issues are. Like, They're no one explained, like, okay, like he has a mental illness. Right. He's just having me about to mania. But she doesn't know that. She just thinks he's being Because they're just her. like, don't, just don't tell her. Don't talk to her. Don't, don't even look at her. When you because that always works out in the end. Right. The royal family was encouraged to move. The king would go to Q and the queen would stay at the queen's house or go to Windsor. Charlotte fought back and insisted on accompanying her husband to Q. They traveled separately and lived apart from each other during his illness. That's sad because he probably could have used her support during this time. You know? Yeah, but it's like everyone wanted to keep them apart from each other. They would visit with him regularly, but even those moments together were awkward and tense since he had a tendency to hug his family and refuse to let them go. Yeah. That's sad. I'm saying like, I, f- I feel like he loved Charlotte and he loved his family, but he just, it's like mental illness is so complicated mm-hmm. and he's probably just scared for himself because he doesn't know what's going on. And like, he probably doesn't remember like right. his, like his anger, like his outburst mm-hmm. and then doesn't understand like why his family doesn't want to be around. Yeah. Him. See, I have to say, cause again, going back to, I've been watching the whole rewatching the, the mini series on Victoria on PBS. And there's a point where Prince Albert and his brother Ernst were kind of making fun of King George the third. Like, oh, are you going to go mad like King George III? And it's like, that's not funny. Like, present day, it's not funny. It's not funny. And it's sad that, that it was a funny thing back then because no one had any knowledge about mental illness. And, right. and I put this section in here. It's small and it's minuscule, but I put that in there because it's like, that kind of broke my heart. I'm like, he has no idea what's going on with himself. And he obviously loves his family. I don't know, man. I don't know what he's done. I haven't really dug into his history too yeah. much, to be fair. But that sentence right there, just like it really kind of broke me because I'm like, he has no idea what's going on. He's probably terrified for himself. He can't, right. like you said, he can't remember anything, but he does know his family. He loves his family. So it's like, obviously, he's going to hold them and not want to let them go because she didn't necessarily not want to be near him. Like she wanted to be there for him. She was there for him until the day she died. She was just afraid of him. Right. So it's not that That's understandable. she didn't care for him and she did everything I think she she possibly could With for him. With the limited amount of knowledge she was allowed. Right. She was probably scared and confused and missed him right. and loves him, mm-hmm. but doesn't know how to help. Right. And we don't know what his bouts of mania look like. I mean, because everyone's mania is different. Right. And yeah. he could have been physical. He could have been mental abusive. Like, we don't we don't know. There's a reason she's afraid of him, but she obviously still cares. for him. She knows that's not him. We're going to journey down at least a handful of Regency bills. <laughs> So basically, everyone's like, oh, the king's insane. Who's going to be regent, basically? Right? Just dropped up a fucking bill. Yeah. So in 1788, the queen and the prince of Wales, which was her son, they're beefing. Both parties suspected each other of trying to take over the regency should the king be deemed unfit to rule. So basically, Charlotte was convinced that her son had a plan to declare the king insane with the help of Dr. Warren, who was the doctor that was brought in earlier. And I forgot to name his name. I'm sorry. But he was the one that was brought in originally and like would not talk to the queen like wouldn't tell her anything so he was working for the prince and probably i mean she's she's probably not wrong a little paranoid right so their their grand scheme plan of things was to take over the regency right well the prince 
her son, follows the same suspicion line and suspects his own mother, the queen, of trying to do basically the same thing, but with a different doctor and the use of the current prime minister, Pitt. Evidently, these two doctors who are working for the queen and the Prince of Wales spoke with each other and the queen's doctor wanted Dr. Warren, the prince's doctor, to declare the king sane by order of the queen. My fucking head hurts. Who has more power pull? Is it the queen at this point or is it the prince? Like who has more power? Well, legitimately. Evidently it's the prince. It's the prince, right? I don't think she was trying to vow for regency for any sort of power play. I think she was doing it to protect the king. She just didn't want her husband to be brought down before his time Exactly. Yeah. My gut feeling is she had good intentions at heart. Yeah. She didn't want to rule. She doesn't know anything about ruling or being a fucking Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So in comes the Regency Bill of 1789. Oh. This is where I'm saying I swear they just pump these bills out like children. Because <laughs> they just come out of nowhere. It's like, oh, here's a Regency Bill. The Prince of Wales was declared regent should the king become unable to rule. But it would also place the king, his court, and children surviving children under the guardianship of the queen so wouldn't that put the prince under the guardianship of the queen sorry i missaid that not surviving minority like so underage underage okay so it wasn't so he didn't fall under his category but all his siblings basically did. everyone else but me yeah we'll have to listen to her okay but i can do whatever i want because i'm the regent king regent but the rest of the country is under her rule no just the family just the family okay okay which i think is what she really wanted all along so it kind of backfires though because charlotte used this bill to prevent the prince of wales from seeing the king alone so whenever he would try to come have a private presence with the king she was like "Mm, no he's under my guardianship yeah guess what you signed him over to me so nope You can see him and I'll be there for it. Basically. Yeah. So he accuses her of siding with the enemies and she's like, you're the enemy of the king, not oh, me. shit. This is her son she's talking to. Their fights became public knowledge after the queen refused to invite the prince to a celebratory concert after the king recovered. Side note, the king has gone through probably like two or three mental illness bouts and he recovers and they celebrate each time he comes out. This was a big scandal for the family and thankfully, eventually, they did reconcile at the queen's behest in March. 1791 so they were like at odds her and her own son were at odds with each other for almost like three years over this whole thing unfortunately mental illness is a bitch especially during this time there's not a lot of help definitely not a lot of knowledge about the way mental illness affects a person or the brain so the king's mental illness became permanent unfortunately this affected the queen deeply she developed temper depression and disliked public appearances after this she even grew disliked concerts which is something she really loved and enjoyed and her relationship with her children were also strained she found some relief though from her stress over her husband by decorating and planting the gardens at her new residence of frogmore house and windsor home park 1804 and on the queen was basically separated from her husband she slept in her own bedroom ate her meals apart from him and would not see him alone that's sad and unfortunately at that part it was just beyond hope i don't know i just i can't help but feel sorry for them just being affected by mental illness like in your own life like you can see the effects that it has on a family so it's like you can kind of relate on that you don't really know the whole story behind like why people dislike her or they did dislike her in that time but well and and even our inability to correctly diagnose and treat mental illness to this day right is still hard mm-hmm. and the fact that his wife loved him deeply and just over time like this rift occurs and mm-hmm. you just feel so hopeless because there's nothing you can do and right. you become yeah i mean i can easily see how you become depressed and sad you're fighting with your son like you're in legislation creating bills and policies and this public knowledge is dividing your 
family. Mm-hmm. At that point, like it's out of control. There's no way out of it. Yeah, and that's like you sad. can't help but feel sorry. And it's not just for her, but it's anybody that's going through it. But like especially her, just because that's who we're focusing on right now. But right. That part got me. From what I've read on her, she did her duty. She did what she was destined to do. She married the king. She gave him marriage. She gave him plenty of children. She supported him. She was there for him, even though she was afraid of him, but she was yeah. still trying to take care of him. And this is where it gets sad. Like, I was really excited for her in the beginning. And then when I read about, like, the last years of her life, like, I literally was, like, writing these notes the other night and I started crying. Like, I just felt so bad. Like, I um, and it's more because I can't find concrete evidence as to why people started kind of turning against her. But yeah. it was just like, this is not what she asked for. Like, she, she did what she was supposed to do. And I felt like from what I was able to pull, she was a good person. Like, she didn't come into this trying to, like, take over the, like, she's like, I'm not going to overthrow the government. And she didn't like, Marie Antoinette the shit either right. and, like, blow she up the banks. She didn't Catherine and... him. Like, she just wanted to do her role mm-hmm. and be a mother and be a wife and support her husband and some point in time in history they turned against her. Right. So in 1811, George III is placed under the guardianship of Charlotte because now he is officially deemed basically insane. Like, you cannot rule. So this is going to fall under Prince of Wales' regency bill that he created, right? Charlotte's in charge of the king and her family. The Prince of Wales is now Prince Regent, and he holds the royal power. But he and his wife are no longer on speaking terms. They're estranged. Like, there's something going on there. Prince of Wales and his wife? Yeah. So I didn't really delve into that. I just know that they're not getting along right now. So this is where Charlotte comes in. She's like, you know what? I'm going to step in. I'll act as first lady. But it's it's a fucking mess. It's a fucking mess, right? So she's first lady and... Guardian. Guardian of the king. Of the king. Yeah. Wow. So she's like, you know what? We're not going to let this family fail. I'm going to step in. I'm going to act... In your wife's That's place. That's what a queen should do, though. Exactly. So Thank she you. served her duty, standing by her son's side at official receptions and supervised the upbringing of Charlotte of Wales. I think that was the granddaughter. Okay. Sadly, during her last years, she lost popularity with her subjects and was often the focal point of many demonstrations. She was jeered by a crowd during the reception in April of 1817 and reportedly told a crowd it was, quote, upsetting to be treated like that after such long service. Seriously, I think it's sad, mainly due to the fact that it's really hard to find a lot of variety in regards to the information about Queen Charlotte and her service. But also she seemed like a pretty decent person. I mean, I feel like that reverts back to like when you have a president Mm-hmm. And you don't respect him. And you're like, he sucks. He's awful. Let's move to the next one. Right. Give us someone better. And then you get somebody else and you're like, uh, okay. Actually, our president was pretty he great. He wasn't that bad. Yeah, we miss him. Can he come back? Like, Because right. the current one is awful. So maybe it was like kind of that regard. You know, just like popular opinion was low because of the mess that she was in. I mean, she yeah. did the best that she could with the mess she was given. I feel like out of all the queens, this wasn't her fault. She had no support. Her son wouldn't support her. Her mother-in-law didn't support she didn't have any friends in court right. her husband was at this point mentally incapacitated incapacitated like yeah so she's literally holding on as to nothing <laughs> to a sinking ship exactly this is where my heart broke and i might start crying again just, i don't know i just i feel really bad for her and i and i wish i could find why people were so frustrated and i, and I understand like they're probably frustrated with the king being crazy and they're frustrated with his son they probably didn't like him like i don't know it could have been anything and, and i'm yeah. i'm completely ignorant right now just because i really honestly didn't delve into it because i was really trying to focus on her and i just felt bad because i felt like she was caught up in the storm and she had nothing to do with it 
So November 17th, 1818, Queen Charlotte died in the presence of her son, the Prince Regent. So obviously they, they've made, made up. up and he was holding her hand as she passed. Aww. She was buried at St. George's Chapel in Windsor Castle. I'm going to cry. I'm sorry. This just makes me really sad. King George III would die a year later. And sadly, due to his illness, he had no understanding or comprehension of her passing. Oh, that's like dementia at that point. Yeah. But why that's is that sad. making me so upset? Because, it, because that's a relatable illness, you know, and that happens to people, sadly, all the time. I mean, that's happened to my grandma right now. So I Yeah. I mean, it. it's you can relate. The, the whole part, too, about her husband just having no idea. Like, that just fucking broke me. I, just, I mean, that's. Oh, my God. I just feel so bad. That reminds me of the notebook. You yeah. Know? The yeah. Ending. It's just. It just, it breaks my heart. Queen Charlotte is the second longest serving consort in British history. After the present Duke of Edinburgh, she served from the day of her marriage in 1761 to her death in 1818, a total of 57 years and 70 days couple of miscellaneous facts about her standing history and like her long lasting marks of the world. Queen Charlotte also became a patron of the General Lying In Hospital which was the first maternity hospital in England and is also known as the Queen's Lying In Hospital. This hospital ended up being relocated in 1752 and it was renamed Queen Charlotte's Maternity Hospital and Midwifery Training School in 1923 after Queen Victoria granted a royal charter to the hospital in 1885. Currently, the hospital has been joined with the Chelsea Hospital to form a combined teaching hospital. To this day, they're still up and running and I do have a picture of that on the blog as well. She and King George III were avid music lovers, as we mentioned. In 1764, eight-year-old Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart came to Britain with his family, and they were summoned to court to play before the royal family. He impressed the queen by mastering the difficult works of Bach and Carl Friedrich Abel, that he was invited to accompany the queen in aria as she sang. I think he played the flute. Yeah, he did. And she sang. And she sang, yeah. The Mozarts were invited back to court to celebrate the king's fourth anniversary of a session where Wolfgang's father, Leopold Mozart, published six sonatas that were composed by the young Wolfgang, known as Mozart's Opus 3. Wow. They were all dedicated to the queen on January 18th, 1765. We mentioned before that Queen Charles it was an amateur botanist and i don't know if everyone's aware of the flower called the bird of paradise but that was actually named for her it's called a guys don't quote me (laughs) strelitzia regani 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 So this was named by Sir Joseph Banks, who was the director of the Royal Gardens. He named the genius Streletzia after (laughs) Queen Charlotte. And she basically was the one to discover the flower of the bird of paradise. Go ahead, girl, because that's one of my mom's favorite flowers. So women's education was really important to Queen Charlotte. She made sure her daughters were better educated than what was considered usual for women at this time. Good for her. She was also, though, unfortunately, very sheltering, which I kind of understand because I'm kind of like that, too. And she kept them very close to her, refusing to allow them to marry until they were like in their well advanced years. Which I mean, that's not a bad thing. You can wait and like really think this out. Do you do you, you really don't need to be fourteen and get married. Devote let me just your punani to this man for the rest of your life. Look, you could be twenty five and get married. She's an early feminist. Like she's really just she, progressive yeah. in her time. Right. It's actually rumored that Princess Sophia, which was one of her daughters, may have had an illegitimate son because they were just so withheld from everything. They were oh. like rebelling and girl went to college for the first time and was like, Woo! Lucy Goosey. Yeah. <laughs> Queen Charlotte and Marie Antoinette were actually close friends. What? what? 
Charlotte was 11 years older than Marie, but they shared a lot of common interests like their love for music and the arts, which we all know that Marie Antoinette also hosted Mozart at her palace as well. They're both like, look at this little bitch. Playing this fucking fucking piano. eight years like, old, tearing that shit up. You, Fuck can you yeah. imagine the letters? Like if they were like how you and I are, like look at this motherfucker. <laughs> he's a little look, fucker. He's a little tiny motherfucker, but he can play the shit out of a flute. Oh man, he tickled them fucking ivories, <laughs> little fucker. <laughs> which was crazy because they never actually met face to face, but they were close pen, pen pals. pals which is, I mean, you could really, you can really become closer to somebody just through writing. writing. Yeah. But that's amazing, though. Like, they're they're ruling, like, two different countries. They're both kind of going through... A lot of weird shit. Yeah. And being, like, ostracized from their families. And the fact and that they never met, they just, like, they came up. together through letters. So like, like, girl, let me tell you about some fucked up shit. No, girl, let me tell you about some fucked up shit. Yeah. So during the French Revolution, Marie would write to Charlotte about the tent situations. Charlotte ready departments for the refugee royal family to occupy. Because Charlotte was like, girl... You need to get the fuck out of France. You can come stay with us. Like, they came by your window with your best friend's head on a stick. You need to get the (laughs) fuck out. He sent you a painting of his cat's asshole. You need to get the (laughs) fuck out of there. (laughs) If you don't know what we're referring to. You can check out our episode of Marie Antoinette. Sorry. She was very distraught upon learning the news of the king and the queen of France's execution. Because that was her that's her bff she was like how come she's not writing me back she oh. literally was like i got this shit ready just come to england she was like yeah come you. on over i got a great apartment ready for you and it you was can like, have frogmore house it was like cricket cricket and someone's like mom i'm sorry but she has lost her head <laughs> that's not funny <laughs> or, i mean or it like is. the letter got like that stamp like return to sender and she's like ah! that's like in the victoria miniseries when they got a letter of death it was in black the letter oh. was fucking black. It was dark like, wings for dark words. The wax Game was black. The outline of the letter was in black. And I'm like, oh, everyone's like, someone fucking died. Who was it? Was it my father? My grandmother? My uncle? My Aunt Kissy? I don't know. The stress, in part with her husband's illness, aged her. And painters that were called to paint her portraits would report it as saying, the queen was much changed, her hair quite gray because there is a picture of her in her older age where everyone who has seen her has pretty much verified that that's pretty accurate to how she looked at the time like she's just very old looking for her age yeah her hair was all white like she looked regal but she looked tired like that's after every president leaves like their their stint of eight years see how much they've aged like currently look at obama. Like, like look at obama yeah when like, he got it he really goes like, oh, young looking motherfucker and yeah. he came out it's like god damn <laughs> what, <happened? laughs> what did we do to you i'm so sorry <laughs> <laughs> let me bathe you in milk <laughs> Lavender oil. vitamin C oil. (laughs) Come back to us, sir. I love you. Bring you back to life. I'll never regret you. I'll never never forsake you. So I I can understand that. I can do that for sure. So this was a little interesting little tidbit I found about her. Because, you know, coming from where we are, and I'm going to list off a lot of... In Virginia. A lot of locations in Virginia. I'm like, oh, who is this named after? So locations around the world that have been named after Queen Sophie Charlotte, Queen Charlotte Islands in British Columbia, Queen Charlotte Sound in New Zealand, Charlottesville, Virginia... There's also Charlottetown in Prince Edward Island. I do want to go to Prince Edward Island. It looks really pretty. And it's I don't think it's that far from here. Uh, I think that might be a fun trip for us. There's also Charlotte, North Carolina. There's also Mecklenburg County, North Carolina. Woo-woo. 
There's also a Mecklenburg County, Virginia. Of course, because we can't be showed up. We got to share We're counties. Like, Fuck that shit. We got one too. We share a lot of counties. Yeah. There's also Charlotte County, Virginia. There is. Charlotte County, Florida. Charlotte Harbor, Florida. Port Charlotte, Florida. And Charlotte, Vermont. There's more. That's not all. That I just put a That's few. That's just a couple. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But there's a lot of places that are named after our Queen Sophie. Charlotte. Fuck it up, girl. Go, girl. Go, girl. girl. So in my research, I found there's a movie called The Madness of King George, which came out in 1994. And it was about the aging King George and his bouts of mania. And it basically centered around his decreasing mental state. The movie got really good reviews. Um, I was like a Rotten Tomato and critic score. And I was looking through the casting because I felt this was coming. They definitely whitewashed the the queen. And no hate. They casted her as Helen Mirren, who is a great actress in her own regard. Yes. But she is white. Like, there is nothing Mm -mm. about her that would, I feel, represent Queen Sophia Charlotte at all. No. And they totally whitewashed the role, and I felt it was important to bring that up because I... Again, I felt like they were just kind of instead of embracing her for who she is, they're kind of making her into someone who they want, they her, want to be. her to be. Yeah. Right. This last little segment I'm going to put in here, and this is just kind of like the last little slap in the face by the royal family where it just really fucking franks mm. my beans. It franks my beans. Franks your beans, man. Franks my beans. In regards to a question about Queen Charlotte's racial identity, in 2017, David Buck, a Buckingham Palace spokesperson. Oh, yeah. How the fuck did you get that name? Mm-hmm. David Buck of Buckingham Palace. He was quoted by the Boston Globe as saying, saying this, say this in your accent. This has been rumored for years and years. It is a matter of history, and frankly, we've got more important things to talk about. Oh, here, here. Teas and here. crumpets. We've been saying this throughout the entire episode. The racism is just... It's prevalent. Yeah. We need to grow. Yeah. From here on out, we need to grow. Again, thanks for tuning in with us for this Wine Cellar edition. And I guess our next one might be The Witcher. Which I guess I'm working on The Witcher next. You hear her accent come out. I'm drunk. This is The Witcher. Henry Cavill, I'm coming for you. Oh, yeah. Bye. Bye. for tuning into this episode don't forget to give us a rating on apple podcast and support us on patreon for bonus material check out our website fireandwinepodcast.com for more information about this episode and more First experienced mental illness in 1765. His mother kept Charlotte in the dark about it. God fucking. (laughs)